Passages. I'm Rachel Powell, and this is Passages Voice. Communications. What is it and why does it matter? Join Josiah and Jeremy as they break this down today on Passages Voice. My name is Josiah McGee. I'm the Associate Director of Alumni Education, interviewing Jeremy Rivers this morning on his 12 Principles of Communication for Leaders. Jeremy is Passages Managing Director and one of the original three staff members of Passages, joining the team back in 2016. He started as the Director of Media and Communication, and in this role played a key role in the development of Passages branding, messaging and tone, and content strategy. He has over 15 years of professional leadership experience, including marketing, youth ministry, and interestingly enough, preschool gymnastics. Welcome, Jeremy. Thank you. Uh, I'm excited uh, to be on this with you. Um, Excited to talk about communication. Uh, I am very passionate about communication. Uh, As you mentioned, I've got lots of experience in different realms with communication, but I just, I love story. I'm kind of a story junkie. I'm the kind of guy that does not actually want to fast forward when I'm watching a TV show because I want to watch the commercials and like, like analyze them and break them down and see how good their story was. I'm, I'm a huge fan of story. Uh, you know, I was brought on originally as the director of media and communications, as you mentioned, and still today, uh, even though you know we've got Rachel on the, on the team doing an amazing job in that deport up d- that department, I still put my hands in there every once in a while and and do stories. So excited, and you know I'm also excited to have the opportunity to collect all of my thoughts on communication. I've never actually had the opportunity to just kind of teach uh, everything that I've been doing for the last 15 years and actually kind of sit down and put everything. Uh, on, on some paper here and chat with you. So I'm looking forward to that today. Um, now, there are a few roles not mentioned in that bio there that I think are important uh, to mention because they have probably taught me more about communication than anything else, and that is uh, the role of a husband and the role of a father. And I'm going to use actually a lot of examples uh, in the session today uh, from those areas uh, in my life. So before we go, I think it's very important to kind of give you a roadmap of where we're going to go today. So I'd like to spend the first five or ten minutes just defining communication, uh, my thoughts on that, and what I think a good, simple definition of communication is. Then we'll spend about the next 30 to 40 minutes kind of breaking down and reverse architecting that definition uh, to see if we can find some principles uh, of communication that I believe, from my experience, are tried and true in growing uh, communication intelligence. Uh, and then maybe towards the end there, we'll do uh, maybe some practical ideas on how to grow uh, your your communication intelligence, some things that I practice myself. Awesome. Well, let's start with the de- definition of communication then. Can you tell us how you discovered that and what that looks like? Sure. So I, you know, there, I've got that youth pastor blood still in me. And so I really want to start this whole thing off with a scripture, uh, the master communicator himself, Jesus, uh, and kind of go from there. And from this scripture, I feel like we can come to a very simple understanding of what communication is, the essence of communication. So we're going to jump into Matthew 13, starting in verse 10. And it says, the disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? Now, right off the bat, this is a direct 
comment to Jesus about one of his primary forms of communication. So let, let's keep going. It says, he replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. So you can, you can see the heart of Jesus right here. He's saying, listen, you guys have something and you're going to give, you're going to get more because of that, but they don't have it. And because of that condition, they're actually positioned to have even what they do have taken from them. And then he goes on to kind of mention Isaiah. He says, in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Now, without getting into a theological discussion around this scripture, I think a simple interpretation is that Jesus communicated in parables so that the crowds could have the understanding of the secrets of heaven. Uh, it sounds like, according to this scripture, that the disciples didn't require stories to receive this transfer of understanding. I, maybe he instructed them a different way, or maybe they just intuitively knew things that the crowds didn't. Um, but the fact of the matter is, the crowds did not. So Jesus met them in a manner that they could be met in, in order to transfer a measure of understanding. And in this instance, it was stories. Jesus successfully transferred understanding, not just to the disciples, but to the crowds by adapting his communication style appropriately. So really from this scripture and by putting some thought to it, I come to my simple definition of communication which or a communication exchange, uh, which is the successful transfer of understanding. That's it. You view this definition of communication through what you've referred to as your principal prism. Can you explain that, please? Sure. I'm calling it the principal prism right now. I'm looking for a better name, but it's because it's a triangle. So we're going to go with that. And I, I really love this, this exercise and this whole idea of the principal prism. And so if you can picture with me in your mind a triangle, and at the bottom you've got two points. And those points are your what and your why. And they're at the bottom because those are absolutely foundational. Uh, in leadership, you have to have a foundation of what and why. I also believe that at the bottom, those two points, they have to be informed by you. Um, there will be pressures when you start to lead to have your what and why shifted by those that you are leading. You know, maybe the ones you're leading, maybe circumstances when times get tough. Uh, there will be the pressure to have your what and why challenged, but you've got to know them so deeply and have them be so foundational in your heart and mind that outside entities cannot shift them. Um, so that's kind of the what and why, but at the top you have how. Now this is actually the opposite, in my opinion, of what and why. That should be 100% informed by the people you are trying to lead. And I like this picture of a triangle or a prism because your, your foundation is solid right there at the bottom and at the very point you have how. And the whole purpose of that is you've got to meet people where they're at, the how, so that you can pierce hearts and minds. You're trying to influence. It's like the tip of a spear. And as soon as you can, if you can penetrate them by doing your how correctly, then you'll be able to follow right in next, like behind it, your what and why. 
So that's kind of what I put, you know, as I was sitting down and thinking communication, I pushed it through these things. And in this sentence, uh, or my definition, the successful transfer of understanding, there is a what, there is a why, and there is a how. Um, the what, you know, the foundational thing, one of the foundational things here is understanding. It's the, it's the, it's the subject. It's what. Understanding is, is a, a, the purpose of communication. Now, now, why communication? Transfer. Like, that is the why. We're trying to transfer something. It's the reason why we're communicating. And now, how? How is, kind of, is successful transfer? Uh, what, I, what I love about the how is that, as you can see by the word association, uh, your how has an intimate relationship with your why, um, but it colors it. It gives it an adjective. It puts that, that touch of essence on it so that your why actually can penetrate and then lead to the what. And so that's kind of the principal prism. That's how I got to this, uh, to this definition. Um, yeah. Perfect. So you've also used these, these three elements then to create your 12 principles of communication. So I'd like to, to break down those principles by each element if we can and then kind of explain what those principles are. Great. So to do that, you and me are gonna to need to get in a car, okay? So let's, let's use the okay. analogy that communication is like getting in a car and going on a ride, okay? We're trying to go from point A to point B. Now, this car is like a magical car, okay? Like chitty chitty bang bang style, okay? <laughs> oh, flashback. Yes. Wow. So the, the, why it's magical is this car actually doesn't have a passenger seat. It has two driver seats. We're both sitting in the driver's seat. In between us, kind of if we're going to go off of my definition, is understanding. Maybe you're coming, you're taking me in on a car ride and you're bringing the understanding and you're putting it in front of. Maybe I am. Maybe we're coming with the same and we're wanting to grow this measure of understanding. But it sits right in, in between us in the middle console. And this energy, whatever, this understanding, it's kind of the fuel to the car. And as we begin to interact with each other, we begin to go from point A to point B. So um, I, I want to kind of use that example uh, as we go through this because I think it'll help color some things. So the first principle is understanding, okay? Uh, that, and that goes into the bucket of what. And I actually only have one principle here in the bucket of what for understanding, and it's this. Have something to say or don't. And I think that's like, I know that sounds like super simple and like, duh, but I think here's, I'll give you a, a, a my first story from my son. Just recently, um, my wife started uh, going to a gym class uh, down here. And so she comes around at like 4.30 and like we switch cars. And so I become the driver for the kids. Uh, they call it switcheroo day. It's fun. <laughs> um, and so this last week, uh, when we did switcheroo, Jack was asleep when I got in the car. And so we're, we're going, we're about halfway, we're about halfway home and he wakes up and he's like quasi terrified because he doesn't know where he is. And now there's a man driving the car. And so like, I turned around quickly and be like, Hey Jack, it's me. And he was really excited. Now some backstory, Jack right now, he's five and he's like all boy. And he wants it. Like, I love it. Cause he like, is all about dad right now. He wants to do what dad is doing. Um, and he, he, he does some things to, he gets his tools out and he builds with me. It's, it's really fun. But anytime he, we like see each other for the first time after I've been away, it's like, he's just over the top excited. 
So you put that in combination of just waking up and he's like kind of like a little incoherent, but he's excited. He's with dad. He goes, oh, dad, dad. Hi, I've got something to tell you. And I'm like, oh, great, Jack. What is it? He goes, I don't know yet. But he was like, he was so excited to just like engage that he didn't have anything to say. Now, that's a very fun story to talk about, like have something to say or don't. Um, but it's the truth. I mean, have you been in a, like a social situation with friends where you're all laughing and like the energy is good and everyone's laughing and then like someone throws something out there uh, trying to like say a joke and it just falls dead. And every, it's like this awkward moment where like that really wasn't funny and it doesn't land. Uh, you know, or you're, you're in a conversation and someone throws a comment out there and it's just like completely unconnected. It's like, have something to say or just don't say anything. Um, and I think the Proverbs actually, I think, says it best, which is unique too. It's kind of a duh comment, but it's, it's profound if you really think about it is uh, Proverbs tells us what is the beginning of wisdom? Get wisdom, like have it. So you have to properly manage your measure of understanding. Know how much you know, know how much you don't, and let that anchor the entire communication exchange. Social pressures and outside things, obligations, will maybe challenge you to communicate maybe more than you actually do know, um, or, or maybe not offer what you should. But just know what you know and let that be the anchor of the communication exchange. Uh, we had the privilege to actually attend a conference last year. Uh, and we got to sit with um, one of the, the one of the top uh, philanthropists in Africa. Uh, he's he's a he's 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 a billionaire. He's like net worth three point six million dollars. His name is uh, Strive Masasawi, and he in nineteen ninety four saw the opportunity for mobile telecommunications to reach continental Africa. He saw he had the vision for it, and he saw steps. I don't know one through twenty three. And he was excited. So he got some business partners together in a room. And he said, we are going to bring mobile telecommunications to all of Africa. And they all did not believe him. And they did not get on board. It was a task that was like, they couldn't see it. And he left that meeting discouraged. And he thought about like, but I see it. Like, this is going to happen. They just don't see what I see. What do I need to do here? So he, he brought him back to the table. And he said, you know what, guys? You're right. You want to know what we're going to do? We are going to bring mobile telecommunications to South Africa. And they became warm to that idea, and then they did it. And then he said, you want to know what we're going to do next, guys? We're going to bring mobile telecommunications to Nigeria. That was a bigger task, but they did that too. And little by little, he began to communicate his vision in pieces. And so... Managing your measure of understanding is not just speaking uh, outside of what you know, but it's also managing what you do know well. Because sometimes people need things in pieces. And so it's, it's the first step is just know, like, know what you know. And uh, the principle there is have something to say or don't. And I think when we get into a communication exchange, we are, we're always thinking about what we need to say. But oftentimes, the most intelligent communicator knows what they do not need to say. Excellent. That's great. So the second 
the element that you brought, broke down for us was why we communicate and referring to the transfer of this understanding. So what principles do you typically use to think about why we communicate? Sure. So I've got two principles in the why bucket. And the first one is have an intentional roadmap. Now, Josiah, you may have forgot, but we're in a chitty chitty bang bang car right now with this magic energy force of understanding that we're trying to grow. Now, before we get on the road, Let's, let's say I'm the one trying to transfer understanding to you. I need to set the GPS, okay? I have to give you an intentional roadmap so that we can successfully get from point A to point B. Um, and, th- you know, this is really like framing the conversation. You know, if you're in a meeting, spend the first two minutes talking about what we're going to do in the next 30 to 60 minutes. Uh, you know this. I mean, at Passages, we are framing junkies. Frame, frame, frame. And this is why I, te- I, this is what I teach at the leaders conference to our fellows and our, our ambassadors. When, when you're on the ground in Israel, you only have nine days. Okay. And there's a powerful experience waiting for every participant on the ground. As a leader, you know, you have to realize they're going to spend their energy here. And what I can do is I can pave a way for them to reserve their energy for the spaces where I actually can't lead them and they need to lead themselves. And I kind of compare this in the realm of there's a roadmap and there's a compass. So I would argue like on the ground in Israel as a a fellow, you could tell them, listen, we're going down to the Gaza border today. We're going to be visiting a town called Kerfara Aza. uh, And listen, there's a lot to experience there. And but know this, it's going to be really hot. Okay, very, very hot. Uh, hotter than you've experienced on this trip. So I want you to drink a lot of water tonight and I want you to always have your water bottle full that whole day. Now, that's painting a map for them. Why? Because when they get down on the ground down there and you've been there, I've been there several times, even to this day after I've been there many times, it's still an altering experience. They're going to need to be holding their compass. They're going to need to be able to reserve their energy to wrestle through a lot of thoughts. And so it wouldn't be wise to have them also have to not know about water. You can provide that for them, you know? And so that's kind of the idea. That's why we believe in framing is we want to help point people in certain directions so that we can make the most of the moment. We can make the most of the communication exchange. This is all about intention. Okay. So first, I have to be clear on what my intention. If, I, if you're getting in my magic car and I want to transfer understanding to you, what's the, what is my intention with that transfer? And I have to be honest with myself, and that should inform what I do in this communication exchange. But then two, take it the step further, and I think sometimes this is, this is the part that gets lost, is you may have an intimate understanding of your intention, but you have to communicate that as well. Because if I don't tell you uh, why we're here, you're going to try and figure that out as we're talking. And chances are you're going to get it wrong because you're not inside my head. Uh, and the, maybe you can even get 85% of the way there. But that's 15% of where you're going to be missing the mark with the words I say, my body language, what we want to accomplish here. And so like having an intentional roadmap is all about intention and knowing your intention, communicating the intention. Um, The second principle under the bucket of why is understand your position in the exchange. 
So you and I are sitting down in this car and we're going to be talking about the Dallas Mavericks. All right. My, my world champion 2011 Dallas Mavericks still holding on to that championship. They're not much right now, but they're world champs. Eight okay. Years ago, yes, yes, yes. I remember that day vividly. <laughs> Chances are, in that situation, I have a different position of understanding than you do. Now, we're going to use this kind of, I'm educating you on Dallas Mavericks. Now, in the idea of education, there's like three different positions. There's a teacher, there's colleagues, and there's a learner. Now, based upon those positions will inform what type of communication exchange you should have. So in this situation, I'm the teacher. It is appropriate for me to communicate to you on an information level. I'm going to inform you. It, as the learner in this situation, it's appropriate for you to ask questions. Now, if we're talking about economics, with you having a minor in economics, the role has now switched. It's appropriate for you to inform to me and me to ask questions. Now, let's say we're in our magic car, we're pulled over, we got to get some gas, we are, you know, and we're deciding where we want to go to lunch. Now we're colleagues, and it's appropriate for us to debate. Now, I'm using the example of, like, education here, um, but I really think that teacher-colleague-learner applies in a lot of situations, and it can just position you appropriately uh, in that communication. Extent. You know, I'm, I'm also a father. I'm a boss. I have a boss. You know, it changes and morphs, and even within a conversation, depending upon what you're talking about, your position should change too. So just kind of being aware what your position is and how you should conduct yourself according to that position. So understand your position in the exchange. And that seems relevant to all environments of communication, family, school, work, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. And that, that seems very practical. You've also got the, the third element, and this is what I think is, is quite interesting. You spend the vast majority of your principles on the, the third elements of how or successful transfers. So where would, you, where would you like to start? Sure. So, yeah, you mentioned, like, we've got 12 principles I want to talk about. We've talked about three, and we've already covered what and why. So first I want to mention that and draw attention to that. Your what and why should be very focused. Like the what, actually, in this setting is singular. And I would argue your what should be able to be drawn down into a very single focus, but also why. Don't have a lot of whys. Like really believe what you believe and spend your energy on your what and why getting those roots deeper instead of having more. Um, so that's just a side note and observation here. But again, the hows should be informed by your, the ones you're leading your followers, your audience. So by nature, there should be more here. Um, so I think uh, clearly we should start at this. Let's start in the first principle in the how bucket is make a good first impression. Like, I don't think we should spend too much time on that, but it's a good handshake in a public speaking. You know, it's that first five minutes. It's the hook. How are you going to get them in? And when I think about um, a good first impression, you are handing the one you're communicating to the lens in which you're, they are going to view the rest of the communication exchange through. So don't do, so don't do it halfway. And so let's just take the, uh, the setting of uh, public speaking. You've got a speech. I would say spend most of your energy on the first five or 10 minutes of that speech because you have to establish 
credibility. You have to establish rapport. You have to get them receptive to you. And if you don't really focus on that, that first impression uh, and you don't get them where you want them to be as far as being able to be an influencer and, and have their ear, have their mind, have their heart in the situation, then really the rest that you do is going to just kind of fall on deaf ears. So I don't want to spend a lot of time on that one because I think that one set, says a lot for itself. But first, just make a good first impression. That's true. I mean, most, most studies will actually show that of a speech, the first 30 seconds is the only one that really matters. After that, the decision has already been made whether to listen or believe what's being heard. And something else I would add to that is a, a smile, a handshake and a smile. That's it. Never forget that. That's it. So, so you say 30 seconds. I mean, if, if that's the case, you should be able to like memorize your first 30 seconds, right? Like, yeah. so do it like to, just to make sure that like, all right, now we're on the right foot. So make a good first impression. Um, the second one I have in the bucket of how is be in the room. Again, these are like super simple, but I think they're really important. Um, I'm actually terrible at this. Um, my brain moves really fast. Uh, and my wife has taught me to be in the room <laughs> more when I talked to her. In the early years of marriage, like I, she'd be talking to me and I would just be somewhere else. I, I don't even know. Like uh -oh. just, and she'd be like, what did I just say? And in like the first couple years... Uh, I would try and like try and say we were talking about and, and like just totally like fall flat on my face <laughs> wasn't good I'm much better about it now like when she says like she doesn't even say like did you hear what I said she just she has a look now she just and it's not like she's like mad at me it's almost like a like a I don't know an endearing smirk she just looks at me I'm like I'm sorry. <laughs> I was like, I, I actually don't remember the last five minutes. And like, she loves me. She, she understands it. But, uh, but it's, a, it's a big deal. Like, you have to be in the room when you're communicating. Um, you know, if, if you're distracted, it's communicated. And what is communicated is you don't care. And like, the, you've just totally hamstringed the rest of the communication exchange. And being in the room and being focused, it's difficult. Like, it takes focus. But I would say, use your energy to be in the room. Uh, it, it's important. Uh, you know, it's know who you're engaging. So in the why, we talked about position. So let's use the Dallas Maverick example, okay? I'm the teacher, you're the learner. But in this principle, be in the room, I'm in the room with a learner, okay, but I'm in the room with Josiah. What do I know about Josiah? I know that Josiah just graduated from college. I know that I've, I've known Josiah for about three years. We've been on the ground in Israel together. Um, you know, I know we both like cheeseburgers. Uh, you know, what do I know about him? And, and so that that can inform being in the room deeper. Like, know your, that, that this is know your audience, right? And in a conversation, I can do it on a one-on-one -on -one level. In a public speaking setting. So if I'm speaking at leaders conference, I've got a message that's burning in me and it really speaks to the faculty. But who's in the room? Half of the room are students and fellows and ambassadors and my board members. So like you have to be in the right room and speak to the people you're in, whether it's one person or 200, but also know the, know the setting. You know, like, what is the environment? Is it like a personal office like we're in right now? Is it a public auditorium or is it a restaurant? 
what are the challenges that a restaurant are going to bring? So if there are certain challenges, maybe you don't say certain things or go certain ways because you, you rec- you're, you're aware of the environment uh, that you're in. And, you know, going back to the first point, it's, you know, it's, it's being in the now. Like, communication is an art form. It's an ebb and flow. It's a dance. And the only way to do that appropriately is just to be present in the now. And don't just hear the words that are being said. Read the body language. What's the energy in the room? That's really important, too. Um, But just just be in the now. So in how, we've got make a good first impression. We've got be in the room. And then the third one I've got under how is manage your communication skills. Okay. Some of us are better public speaker than others. Some of us are better writer than others. Some of us are better creative writers than others. Some of us are better academic writer than others. Um, You know, some of us are more intuitive in reading people. Just you you have to manage your communication skills. And, you know, let's say, you know, I heard you're you were a debate coach. Um, And so you may have a, a very strong debate skill and I may watch you debate and like be jealous of it almost and be like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do my keynote like Josiah did. That would be a completely huge mistake because that's not how I communicate best. Now you can grow your communication skills, but when you're entering into an exchange, you've got to just know where you're at with it. An example is the, this last spring, the example I was using actually like faculty fellows and board members, this is a real example. And, uh, I, I had the opportunity to deliver the keynote at leaders conference. Now we had a keynote speaker lined up and they canceled two weeks before the conference. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Malcolm looked at Scott and I was like, Hey guys, can you guys just share your stories? I think that will be impactful. And we were excited and we were really, uh, we were ready for the opportunity, but it was two weeks. And like, like I said, cream of the crop of our leaders in the room, but not only that, our board members and some of our donors. Like this was a huge setting for Scott and I. And, you know, I actually have a public speaking communication style where I like to have minimal notes and just not have a podium in front of me and just talk. That's where I feel most natural. But with such like limited amount of time, I knew that I wanted my words to be right. And I wanted to, and I'm I'm a good writer. And so for the first time ever, what I did was I wrote my speech word for word just because I knew that the stakes were so high and I wanted to get it right. And I practiced it out loud like 10 times in my hotel room the night before, like three times, timing, marking things off. Um, And then I got up to the podium and the temptation for me was to get away from the podium. But I managed the situation and I said, I literally, before I got up there in my head, I knew what I would want to do. And I said, Jeremy, stay behind the podium and say your words. And I was able to go off the page, but I committed to what I knew what would be right. And without trying to sound arrogant, I nailed it. And I'm, I'm actually proud to say that, not because of what I said and what I delivered, but because I knew myself and I, I stood behind that podium as unnatural as it was, because the goal was the successful transfer of understanding, not doing a particular style. So manage your communication skills depending upon whatever the communications exchange is. So we've talked about three. Uh, Make a good first impression in how, be in the room, and manage your communication skills.
Absolutely. So a lot of times, something people will struggle with when they're trying to get involved in public speaking or when they're just trying to communicate something even one-on-one -on -one with someone else is, obviously it's important to be in the room, be in the moment, but sometimes it's just hard to stay focused. People get distracted. So how do you keep things interesting? How do you keep people engaged and how do you keep people's attention? Sure. So this is now hitting like the peak of my passion of communication uh, and it's add drama to the data. That's, that's our next principle in communication is add drama to the data. Uh, stories. Tell stories. Uh, stories. And I, I love story, and I'm going to try and sound scientific here for a second. Um, you know, I don't typically do that. I'm, I'm, I'm more theatric <laughs> in nature. Um, but I'm, because I love story so much, I'm intrigued in what story does to the brain. And Jennifer Aker is a, a professor of marketing at Stanford Graduate uh, School of Business. And she says through her studies that uh, people remember information when it is weaved into narratives up to 22 times more than just facts alone. Wow. That's tremendous. Um, and so like, why? So in the brain, when you start telling a story, immediately the auditory cortex becomes activated. Okay. Now there's now when when you activate that part of your brain, there's there's a cascade of activation that happens that follows, and I want to kind of talk about like what these these particular elements of the brain do. Um, so when when that when that cortex is activated, it activates uh, the next cortex in your brain, the left temporal cortex, and what that does is it's the one that makes you receptive to language. But not only that, this is so cool, it also is the part of the brain that filters noise. So it's like, not only does it open the door to receive what is being said or shown on a video, it also, it also like kills out all the, all the distractions, like it brings focus. So, and that's what story does immediately. Now, the next thing that it does is it begins to fire off uh, neurons that are associated with taking action. And there's actually a study, I can't remember it, but I read a, an article one or two years ago that said that they, they did a study where someone lived something out and then someone told a group of people about that encounter. And the exact same firing neurons of the brain occurred with someone doing an activity and someone telling a story about it. And what basically what I, I'm saying here is you can bring someone into a moment when you start to tell stories. Now, the, the last cascade and the last element of your brain that is fired off is the one that fire, is responsible for your emotions. Mm -hmm. And emotional engagement is, is really important because now we're talking about like hormone activation too. And when you start to tell stories, now this is interesting too, when you tell stories that are character driven, that releases oxytocin into the blood. Oxytocin is the empathy or trust hormone. And what that hormone does is it, it gives, it, it, you are now attaching yourself to whatever you're paying attention to. So I don't want to get too sciencey, but like it's really, really cool what story does to the brain because what it does is it makes it a physical event now. Like it activates the physiology of your body uh, and you are now attached to whatever is being said or communicated in another dimension. 
Uh, and I think that leads to that, that first statistic we said. So like knowing that that's what happens in your body, well, yeah, of course you're going to remember it 22 times more than just like reading a fact on a sheet because like your brain and your hormones are now involved in understanding that. Uh, and so I just, I love stories. So that's, you know, a principle is, is just add drama to the data, um, to make it more memorable. A lot of scientific facts there. I know. Yeah, that's my question for the the week. It sounds like you've done some research. <laughs> so, in order to get that level of impact, I mean, is there any sort of preparation that's necessary first, or can we just step into a conversation and immediately grab someone's emotions that way? Yeah, sure. So, I think the last principles and how kind of are all about preparation. Um, so, the first one is when possible, have a second draft. Okay. Now I know many people listening to this podcast are students, so you clearly understand the concept of a second draft, a third draft, and a first draft. You would never have your first draft be the final one that you submit. You probably would not have graduated if you just submitted your first drafts. Um, and Josiah, you should be really grateful right now. And those still listening, if you're still listening, um, this is my third draft. <laughs> okay. And my, my amazing uh, wife, was the one that was subject to the first one and the, the second one. And here's the deal. This is what's great about a first draft is, you, you, you know, the first draft is really just like a brainstorm, honestly. It's like there's no right or wrong ideas here. It's about just getting ideas out, get it out. Um, but that's not what you present. It's rough. It's raw. You know, it's a rough draft. Then you present it in front of someone, you get feedback, or you walk away from it, you fall asleep, you come back to it, you chisel off all the stuff that was non-essential, actually, you wake up and you're like, I don't remember writing that, I don't know what that means, so we shouldn't say it. Um, and then you tweak it again, and then you're, then you're in a better position to communicate more effectively. Remember, it's about the successful transfer of understanding, and if you can have a second draft, have a second draft. Uh, social media post, hello, public record. If you can have a second draft on a charged social media post, have a second draft. Uh, even if you're, you know, it can be a confrontational conversation. Talk that out with someone else before you talk it out with the person. This really goes a long way in making the exchange, uh, the best that it can. Now, another interesting thing about this point though is, Let's say it's that charged social media post. Write it out in a Word doc, maybe, so you're not tempted to press send. Uh, Sleep on it, and then when you come back to it, you may actually come to this conclusion. There should be no draft of this. This actually does not need to be communicated, and I'm glad I slept on it. And so the principle of have a second draft is maybe the second draft is no draft at all. And it goes back to like some of the best communicators, again, know what they should not communicate and just walk away from a situation. Absolutely. So let me ask you another question then. Why is it that people who, who know their stuff and they're well prepared and they sound nice, they sound good when they're talking, why is it that they still struggle to communicate with their audience? Sure. Um, that's a great point, and I think the the my my immediate response there is we this is a good question to consider the fact that communication is not about just what you say it's not about the words um they're important um but over fifty percent of communication is nonverbal 
uh, and depending upon the situation, you have a particular set of tools for your nonverbals. Um, but you know, the, the next principle that I have under how is design your nonverbals. They're, they communicate, like we mentioned the focus thing. That's a nonverbal communication. If I, if I have my phone on, my, on the table while we're talking and it lights up and I glance down, that is a whole bunch of nonverbal, just the phone on the table itself is nonverbal communication. If the phone is away and I'm just looking at you, there's nothing in between us. If I'm scrolling while you're, you can see uh, with all of those different examples, what I've communicated to you and I haven't said one word and I'm actually not the one talking, you are. But all you can think about as you're trying to communicate to me is what I'm communicating to you. And I've kind of hijacked this communication exchange just because my mobile device is on the table. Now, I'll tell you a story about the power of nonverbals, and it's with my sweet little girl, Lucy. First, backstory on Lucy. She was born two years ago. That's as far back as we can go. <laughs> but when she was born, she, uh, she came out with red hair. And I'm, I'm a ginger myself. I understand the ginger temperament. And my wife, she, you know, I was holding Lucy at first and she's, you know, she's crying. I'm crying. It's beautiful. She's like, is she beautiful? It's like, she's beautiful, but this one's going to hurt your feelings. <laughs> <laughs> like, and let me tell you, the ginger spice is a real thing. Uh, mm-hmm. And she's two now. And I guess I was a prophet because now she has got this. She's got, when, when I'll say something like Lucy, do not do that. And she will stiffen up and yell no and just like with and then like fire in her eyes it's like it's almost impressive it's kind of adorable um but not acceptable (laughs) like we don't we don't conduct ourselves this way so lucy's had her fair share of sitting in the crib lately Mm -hmm. uh learning that she cannot communicate this way and we tell her do you want to go sit in your crib and she she continues to throw a temper tantrum so we put her in there She's learning, though. Um, so now it's gotten to the point to where we can say, do you want to go to your crib? And sometimes it takes her a little bit, uh, but she'll come around and she'll, she'll melt. She'll let the anger go away and she'll say, I'm sorry. But it's even got to the point to where I can just, when she yells, no, I can look at her and take my stance and say, Lucy. And now we're both just at a standoff. Now, none of us... Neither of us are saying anything here, but do not, do not be deceived. There is wild communication going back and forth between these two redheads and it's who's going to win, who is going to melt first. And what I have to do is I have to design my nonverbal not to smile at my daughter, even though I think that pig, that pigtail girl with fire in her eyes is just like the cutest thing in the world. I have to hold a stern face and just look. And it's gotten to a point where I can say, Lucy... And just hold. And within five seconds, she'll melt and just say, I'm sorry, Dad. And that's because nonverbal communication communicates more at this point to her than, don't do that. Don't do that. I'm going to put you in your crib. Don't do that. She knows. And the the nonverbal is actually more powerful at this point with her than it is my verbals. And this is like a parenting example. But like, you know, how I sit in a meeting with you. Am I going to lean forward? Am I going to lean back? Am I going to cross my legs? What are the implications of that? What am I going to do with my hands? All of that 
can enhance or distract or uh, disrupt the communication. And so be very good. So the principle there is design your nonverbals as much as what you want to say. Very good. As a follow-up to that, you know, sometimes it's just a tough crowd, tough audience. So how much do circumstances impact your ability to communicate from your experience? Sure. I mean, sometimes it goes the way you want it to. uh, And you're able to kind of visualize how this will roll out. And I would say a lot of times that's kind of how it goes. But, you know, depending upon the type of communication, especially if it's the stakes are high, you know, definitely emotions are going to be there. And there's a high, there's a greater probability of you need to actively manage the environment, which is the next principle. Actively manage the environment. And I think the best thing that you can do to actively manage the environment is do as much preparation as you can before you show up. Like have what you want to say just like in your bones, you know, mm-hmm. um, so that you can go off the script if you need to. Because at the end of the day, it's about what's happening in the moment, not what you would like to accomplish. It's what you are accomplishing. Uh, now, you, you, have to, you have to take that alongside with what you want to accomplish, but sometimes that means going off the script. Sometimes that means calling a meeting after the first five minutes when you realize we actually are not prepared for this. Um, that's actively, and let's, let's uh, actually make the most of our times and go back to work because we're clearly not ready. Um, it, it really depends. And I think that my, my greatest encouragement in, in actively manage the environment is emotional intelligence, specifically in the realm of your ego. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm a huge office fan, the office. <laughs> I'm actually watching it through for like the seventh time right now. And I'm not, to be honest, I'm kind of in a mild depression right now. Cause I'm, I'm a manager right now. And last week, I'm sitting at my desk and I think you were there too. Some of you guys were having lunch at the conference table and you guys, I was at my desk and you guys erupted into laughter and like to a moth, like a flame, I got up off of my desk with a stupid grin on my face and like approached the group. And I was like, what are we, what are we laughing at? And I was like, Oh my God, I'm Michael Scott. (laughs) (laughs) And like, I've been having to like, go to the Lord with this thought and like, be like what is going on? Uh, but that, that's a side note, but I'm reminded of the episode of when he's in the car with Dwight and they have a GPS system and the GPS system is telling him to turn right and turn right means drive into a lake, but he just like blindly obeys turn right. And he just like Dwight's yelling at him like, what are you doing? You idiot. What are you doing? And he drives the car straight into the lake because the GPS told him that. That's what happens when you do not actively manage the environment. Like sometimes, you know, though you may want this to be right, though you may want this to be the way it should go, and try not, like forcing it through is probably not a great idea. You, you've got to be ready to go off the script. And so um, actively manage the environment there. And again, the encouragement would be the, your emotional intelligence surrounding your ego. Uh, willing to be wrong, not in front of someone, but also be willing to be wrong with yourself, like with what you want to communicate. Be willing to accept, I missed the mark. And so I'm not going to say 0.3 through 5, even though I think they're right, I, it's just not going to go well. That's a very emotionally intelligent decision based upon you actively managing the environment in front of you. 
Um, so the, the next principle I have under how is deliver purposefully. Now, I used to be a valet. I have been in some really cool cars. <laughs> I've also wrecked some really cool cars. Oh, no. I was a valet for 30 days. What's the nicest car that you've wrecked? Well, I'll tell you. I'll, t- I'll, <laughs> tell you. I'll tell you all four that I wrecked. Four in 30 days. Okay. First was a special edition Lincoln truck. Mm-hmm. I hugged the ramp and scraped the whole side of it. I know. And it's terrible. <laughs> the second one was a an Escalade. Same exact thing. I hugged it. Obviously, I had a trouble with like the big cars. And then the last one was this sporty BMW that had like, it was like that hybrid car that's like not a manual, but it's not automatic either. Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand how to drive the car. Uh, and so like I gunned it and I T-boned an Escalade. So it was like a two for one. And I got, actually got out of the car, turned the car off, just didn't touch it. And I walked up to my supervisor and I said, I don't want to be fired. So I quit. And I just walked away. Uh, it was terrible. But the reason why I was such a bad valet was at the time I did not know how to drive a manual. Mm-hmm. Um, now I do. And I hope my next car is, and it's really fun. But at the time I did not. And so I was anxious Every single minute of my shifts, thinking that the next car was going to be a manual and I was going to look like an idiot driving off the hotel drive. And my, my lack of confidence made me a poor driver. Um, and that's the point here is like, you have to be confident in your delivery or you're going to wreck the car. Um, you know, like, and so like two sub points under deliver purposely is say what you need to say. You know, and that kind of goes back to, you know, the, the, you know, have an intentional roadmap with yourself, like design that. And then when you show up, make sure like you got three points, deliver those three points. Don't leave the exchange without delivering those three points. Say what you need to say. Now, taking that in combination with the principle we just talked about, maybe point three actually shifts and four and five are added. But make sure you deliver four and five. You've got to deliver purposefully and uh, uh, say what you need to say, but then also say what you mean to say. And this is a critique on indirectness. Indirectness is, is the, the language of miscommunication. Like you, you are, if I'm, if I, what I'm doing, if I'm communicating to you indirectly is I'm saying, come find me where I'm at. Like, but you're not equipped to do that. You don't know my heart. You don't know my mind. You don't know my experience. You don't know why I'm even here doing this. And it's not energy well spent for the one that you're trying to transfer to. Now, the opposite of that is delivering directly. Now, sometimes that may sting or it may be abrupt, but I would argue that their energy is better spent processing than it is trying to discover what you're trying to say to them. And so... This one might sound simple too, but deliver purposely. And learn how to drive a manual. Yes, do that before you become a valet. (laughs) Okay. The money was good though, all right? Ah, very good, very good. I want to go back to your kids because you told a lot of stories about them. I'm just curious, is there anything else that your kids have taught you about communication? Sure. So maybe to recap, we're actually at principle 12. So if you've hung with us, I appreciate you. Um... You know, and the, the the last one is is very very important, and it's confirm the resolution of the exchange. Um, I'll tell you a story about my son Jack. This is the one I'm going to make up, but it's a but it's an it's a situation that happens maybe three or four times a, a week, 
where I'll say, okay, Jack, I want to go to bed and read you a story, but before you do that, I need you to pick up that toy and put it in the toy chest, and I need you to get your glass of water, put it in the sink, then I need you to go change your shirt and brush your teeth. And again, he's in this mode where he just, like, he, like, loves me. It'll ebb and flow. Soon he'll love his mother, and we'll have to deal with that. Right now he loves me, and so he's enthusiastic. He says, okay, Dad. And I go, what do I say? What did I just say? And he goes, I don't know, with, like, just this amount of enthusiasm. I'm like, okay, great. So I have to say it to him, like, two or three more times and maybe actually break it into segments for him so that, like, I'm confident I communicated to him and he understood. Um, and I love this quote, um, the greatest misconception about communication is that it's happened. Mm. And at the end of a conversation, if you're really wanting to make sure you got your point across, you have the luxury of saying, what did you hear me say? That is invaluable information for you. If you want to determine whether you have actually got to point B in this journey of point A to point B, um, and, but in like a, you can do that in a conversation, you can ask, but in like a public speaking set, you can't do that. You can't just like ask each individual, what did I say? What did I say? So the best thing you can do on a setting like that is summarize. You like have your summary and maybe say it a little bit differently. Give it a little bit of different color. Maybe say it three or four times your main point throughout your, your speech. But that's, that's how you can do best in a situation where you can't like face to face confirm the resolution of the exchange. Um, but, but again, you know, the greatest misconception about communication is that it's happened. So the greatest way to hedge against that is to, to confirm what the audience, what the person in front of you received. So those are my, 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 in, in summary, I guess I'm a, I should do this if I'm going to tell you to do it. The, the 12 principles that I've got, you know, we've got one in the bucket of what, um, and that is, sorry, I buried my notes here. Uh, have something to say or don't. Then we've got two in why, which is have an intentional roadmap. This is communicating intention. And then understand your position in the exchange. What, what chair are you sitting in? Then we jump into how, and it's make a good first impression. Be in the room. Uh, manage your communication skills. Add drama to the data. That's a big one for me. Uh, when possible, have a second draft. That's a huge one for me. Um, and then design your nonverbals. Deliver purposefully. And then the last one is confirm the resolution of the exchange. And again, these are my principles. And, you know, I've spent the last almost two decades leading teams, um, big teams, small teams, children, adults, young people, trying to coach gymnastics, trying to coach ideas. And uh, these are principles that, you know, sometimes in an exchange, I do better at some of these more than others. Um, but these are all principles that I know that in, in my successful communications ex exchanges, I've done these well. And in the ones where I have fallen flat on my face, and let me tell you, there have been plenty of those too. You can look at where I got it wrong in these 12 principles. And if I would have maybe spent a little bit more intention on one or two of these, the communication exchange would have gone way better. Absolutely. Well, this has been tremendous, Jeremy, some excellent advice and very well organized for us to understand. So thank you for that. Do you have any closing thoughts or any last sage words of wisdom for us? Yeah, sure. So maybe I can, 
um, just talk maybe on a leadership level. Uh, why is it important to be a world-class communicator, but today? Uh, today, we live in an era of instant communication. And, you know, used to be, if you had means to mass communications, you had a significant edge in being a leader. But that's just not the case today. Uh, in one hour, I can go build a website and have a blog and have it published on social media. That's unbelievable. Uh, I can put a certain hashtag on a Twitter post or an Instagram post and people from across the world can click on that hashtag and see my post. Um, you know, mass communication and instant communication actually does not provide any advantage to a leader anymore. It's the one that really understands the implications of what they're communicating and has an awareness of the impact of their communications. Um, and I would say this, that it's, it's more now more than ever, you know, the leaders, faith, faith-based principled leaders need to be world-class communicators um, because the bad guys are. And they have access to instant communication as, as we are. And so we can't just know what we want to say, when we want to say it. We've got we've to really pick apart how are we as a communicator? My nonverbals, what I say, what I don't say. How am I managing my emotional intelligence? Where are the stories? And the peak of my conversation, where's the opportunity for me to drive home? Like really dissect your communication skills. And I would encourage everyone just if there's one skill set that a leader, especially in this day and age, needs to be world class in, it's uh, communication. And I love talking about this stuff. I really appreciate the opportunity to like formally collect my thoughts and present this to you. Um, you know, those those listening, if you have thoughts or questions, I love to engage on this too on like a, a personal level. So you could shoot me an email, uh, a, a direct message if you'd like. You can find me on Instagram and I'd love to just continue to chat on this if you have questions. Awesome. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you, guys. more about how to get involved, visit passagesisrael.org backslash pulse. From Passages, I'm Rachel Powell. Thank you for listening.